Hello and welcome to the Hall of Fame video game podcast starring Matt Levy and Mike Staub. We love video games and have embarked on a journey to index the greatest video games of all time into our very own Hall of Fame. Here's the show. Hello and welcome to another awesome, spectacular, great episode of the Hall of Fame video game podcast. I'm Matt Levy. I am joined and we are bright and early this morning, Mike, to record with uh, here with me, Mike Staub. Yes, that's right. It is nice and early in the morning, but what is Sunday? We record on Sunday mornings every so often. And what is Sunday morning without spending some time in video games? Because as you get a little older, it seems to be like the only quiet time of the week to really sit down and play uh, some video games. So why not talk about them as well? So Matt, once again, thank you for having me here. And I think we have this. The game we're talking about today is like a, this is a classic like get good kind of game, right? This is where that mentality ultimately came from. Uh, now, this game is probably 20 plus years before anyone started saying that. But I feel like the this the this series is one of the most influential of like the NES era games and the Famicom era games. And while it still hovers around, we've seen it here and there in a few different forms. This first game really just drives home the point of just how difficult NES games could be. And without even trying, right? Yeah. Without even trying. The game we're talking about today, guys, is Ninja Gaiden from 1989, came out in March of that year in North America. And you're right, Mike, because this was when you really had to, as a gamer, replay levels over and over again to learn where the holes are, where the pitfalls are, learn where the enemies are, because if not, you are going to get beat. Yeah, bad, real bad. It's like, it's it's big on pattern memorization, but there's also a lot of RNG in this game. There's a lot of random number stuff. There's a lot of enemies that just throw things randomly or have random attacks. And there's endless waves of enemies. It's got that Castlevania vibe to it where it's just like, hey, you keep going in the positive direction or where you need to go. But there's like this endless endless chain of whether it's Medusa heads or whatever's on the ground in Castlevania and Ninja Gaiden, it's like soldiers with guns. And you you also have sign curve enemies that you fight in this game. So it's got a lot of the stuff in um, that really made the 8-bit era so challenging, but also so interesting. Uh, so much stuff they were able to do with the 8-bit processing power of these consoles and just give you games that represent just art artfulness and skillfulness that comes out of the limitations of a console like the NES or the Famicom. Yeah, I think this game is very indicative. If you wanted to show someone a game from the NES, what it was yeah. like at that time, this game is very much represents that 8-bit platforming, side-scrolling. You have a character here that is somewhat still a relevant franchise. It has become yeah. a pretty well-known character over the decades since. But you have here, I think, the, as you said, the graphics, the art style, the characters, the gameplay. This is very much, they did everything they could here with the resources they had. You know, they definitely did. And the other thing with that is that this is one of the first games I can remember having like 
really giving you a, a semblance of like story within the game. It wasn't just like, hey, read the instruction manual and you'll get the story. Like, well, Mario's taking a nap and everything's weird. That's right. That's right. I brought Mario 2 into this because I will always bring Mario 2 or Zelda 2 into any conversation. So you're welcome. So any of you out there who are like, I hate Mario 2. Sorry, guys. I'm a big fan. Anyway, that one's that one's that uh, that one's for uh, one of our one of our close friends. He knows who I'm talking about. So uh, the Mario Two fans unite. So the director of this game, Hideo Yoshizawa. Sorry, it's early. They put story and and cutscenes into this game. Like there are anime style cutscenes that get put into this game, and it's so interesting. It's so interesting that we had that. We had these really nice eight bit style cutscenes that gave you more of the story and it does have like an 80s like 80s like Japanese crime movie slash like 80s anime feel to it like the style of these cutscenes could really fit in with something like an Akira or anything else like that so I think Mike it's hard to think back to the NES time and remember that you did not get story you were lucky if you got an opening scroll or dialogue or narrative that was just written down and that was it. And you had to create yeah. in your head your own motivation and story as to why the Ninja Turtles were doing what they're doing or why Mario was exploring these different levels and castles yeah. and what was happening. You had to create your own narrative to why Link was going from castle to castle doing exploring where he was going. You had to create narratives. But here, you got something really unique. You got these cutscenes that was very, very rare. I can probably count on one or two hands how many NES games had actual narrative and story. Yeah, you might have had it in like the NES era with like an attract mode. Like if you just kind of let your car your cartridge just play, they would sometimes throw you a couple things like Mega Man is famous for doing that. But Ninja Gaiden has cutscenes that happen during the game. Like you get to points where it's not just the opening like title scroll that you would see. But in Ninja Gaiden, it was like you would beat a stage sometimes and it would just cut to... And they have angles and close-ups of the characters with dialogue. And this was an actual plot, like you said, from an 80s movie. I mean, Ryu Hayabusa has to stop an ancient demon from being unleashed. I mean, it's great 80s fun. It's really good 80s fun. And it has that like 80s grit to it, right? It has that like in the 80s, Pretty much so many games that were developed over in uh, Japan had 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 some sort of feel that like all every street in every city was like loaded with every person with weapons that wants to just kill one guy. And you always just have to walk to the right and kill everything. Now, Ninja Gaiden does a little bit differently. Now, you still are walking mostly to the right, even though you do walk to the left in this game a little bit, too. Uh, because it does have that kind of Castlevania kind of flow to it that everything's got like this kind of like it's like crime is everywhere and like Ryu is the one guy who's got to like stop it I I will for we refer to him a lot of times as Hayabusa because you don't want to get him confused with the lead character of Street Fighter or the lead character of Breath of Wild a Breath of Fire but he's a he's a ninja he does ninja things you have that really great item system that definitely seems like it was cribbed a little bit from Castlevania. So as you walk through these stages, you you can slice down like lamps or in some cases like dragonflies and they drop items and you get different sub items that you can use. And it's a very standard like side scrolling action game. 
It's just that the action and the platforming is so tight and it definitely has that kind of, it does have a Konami feel to it, right? It's a Tecmo game. So Tecmo made this game and Tecmo has gone on to make a lot of different stuff like Dead or Alive, the newer Ninja Gaiden games. I think they they even did, if I'm thinking, thinking correctly, did they do Fatal Frame? They did the Fatal Frame series. They did, they're very famous for the Dead or Alive, of course. Yeah, of course. And also then in the name, you have Tecmo Bowl, which is one of their famous NES series. But yeah, this this is one of their big claims to fame is the Ninja Gaiden series. Yeah, no, Ninja Gaiden is was was such a big deal back in the NES. And then it kind of went away for a long time, unless you got that that Super Nintendo cartridge, which is worth like a house at this point. Yeah, they basically ported the three games, correct? The trilogy onto the SNES. Yeah, they put the trilogy onto the SNES and that cartridge before the COVID bubble or boom or whatever you want to call it. I don't even know anymore. The bubble hasn't popped yet, so I don't know if it's a bubble anymore. Before that, that cartridge alone, like loose, was going for like five or 600 bucks. So... They made these three Ninja Gaiden games on the NES and they're all great, like really good. They're all pretty much the same in terms of like how they feel like there are slight advancements from one game to the other. But for all intents and purposes, Ninja Gaiden one, two and three are all very, very similar. From my recollection, the only big improvement for the first to second is that when you are climbing ladders or climbing walls, you can do attacks while in this game, you're pretty vulnerable while you are climbing. Yeah, that's why you kind of have to know where enemies are going to be and and make sure you climb those ladders um, efficiently. It does not always, not always the quickest, just efficiently. And uh, Ninja Gaiden, the first Ninja Gaiden game still plays really well. I played it recently and uh, gotten very angry and thrown a controller, but I've played it. I've played it recently and it's very good. It's still very, very good as is like it's, it's remake or reboot or whatever you want to call it. Or I don't even know if it's a reboot or a remake with the one they made on Xbox, the, the, the new 3d. Yeah. The, the black series, right? Is that what they call it now? Ninja Gaiden black or the rest maybe of the remake yeah. of the remake. Yeah. The black. Well, there's like, yeah, there's, <laughs> I, I honestly, I can't tell you how that I played, I, I played the original Xbox game and yep. then I played it again. Sigma. I played Sigma on the Sigma. Yeah. And the series has sort of, redefined itself in that newer trilogy where it's now like almost like a Bayonetta meets meets Devil May Cry but even more challenging than those yeah it's definitely more of a Devil May Cry style series I think I I typically refer to those as character-based action games or like you're collecting those orbs that come out of enemies when you fight them that's pretty much just like a subgenre of action games that are just that and it's a bunch of them they're all really good uh they're all really really good I and but it all takes that legacy back to to the original game. And there's a lot of companies that tried to do stuff that was as tight and as good as Ninja Gaiden at the time, but very few games come close. And when Matt, you and I have a lot of these conversations about what games really belong in the Hall of Fame, the NES, the further away we get from it, you realize the the kind of tech limitations of the NES. It's like they're running out of classics. 2D action games really didn't get good to the point where we could honor them like this until the 16-bit generation with the Genesis and the Super Nintendo yeah, and the looking, Turbo Graphics. When you look back at the NES, you have said many times that a lot of them were good ideas that they really couldn't fully flesh out yet. And yes, the limitations in the graphics, the sound, I think across the board held back some of these games from being truly, truly timeless, where some yeah. of these games now do feel a little limited by... Yeah. by when they are made. Now, Mike, an interesting conversation, I think, when talking about Ninja Gaiden is what the word ninja meant in the late 80s, 
early 90s back in not only Japan, but in the States where I think it was a cool trending yes. thing to, to have Ninja in the name of a title. Well, obviously we've talked ad nauseum about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which was a huge deal in the United States in at this time period. Like I feel like everything was ninjas and it, it's a, it's a, it's a call back to the comic books of the period. As we explained a little bit on the Ninja Turtles podcast, or when we talked about Turtles in Time, nin- the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles as a comic book was a spoof on pretty much all 80s comics at the time. It's a spoof on the X-Men because of the mutants. It was a spoof on the ninjas because there were ninjas in literally everything. So Mutant and Ninja, they threw it together. They're like, ah, we'll make giant turtle people. It's great. So... At that time, ninja comics were, were everywhere. And I don't just necessarily mean like, hey, there's a comic book about a ninja character. In, at that point in time, if you look back, the biggest comic books of the 80s, for the most part, were really Wolverine and G.I. Joe and Daredevil, right? These were all produced by Marvel Comics. And Larry Hama, who famously wrote like, all of the G.I. Joe comic books from that time period. And, and I think, I think he, I believe he did some illustrations too, like a silent interlude. I believe he wrote and, and, and drew, if you haven't seen or read silent interlude, it's a story. It's a one shot G.I. Joe story starring snake eyes. And there's no text. It's just all visual and it's beautiful. And snake eyes is a blind ninja character from G.I. Joe. So Larry Hummer did that. He worked with Wolverine. I think he did some ninja stuff with, but Wolverine was always fighting the hand at this point in time. Daredevil was always fighting the hand at this point in time. This is when Frank Miller was writing Daredevil. So there was a lot of that like ninja stuff. Frank Miller then after that would go on to, to do a series called Ronin, which is like a weird cyberpunk samurai story uh, in like France. And at that point in time, it seemed like it was very 80s chic to have ninjas in your properties. I, I don't know why, to be perfectly honest with you, but I think it was just the way the comic books had gone and people were like, hey, these guys are pretty cool. And I think the term ninja, and I might be wrong here with my history, I, I believe it's definitely a term that is used more frequently by Westerners because it's easier to say and understand than the term shinobi, which is the, the more... Japanese term but ninja is also like at that like ninja gaiden to me has gives you that 80s that 80s punch and i think that's probably why it sold sold well at the time too because it's like you have this cool looking ninja dude on the cover well what's interesting is the title of this game like many games at this time yeah. were different from region to region so the japanese translation was legend of the ninja dragon sword yes. but europe like they do they did it for Ninja Turtles. It was Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles because they thought Ninja was a, I don't know, a, a negative word, a scary word, a dark word. Yeah, I mean, it's no different than putting assassin on the name of a game. Right, right. right which, which has happened. So, so yeah. Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles, but for Ninja Gaiden, in Europe they called it Shadow Warriors, which I don't think does a good representation of the game, but... Hey, that's uh, Europe, right? Let's talk about then just a, just as, just a, just such a such a vanilla awful 
like shadow warriors first of all it's one guy right it sounds like a cooperative or yeah, multiplayer yeah, game <laughs> yeah like first of all you're playing as one guy and there you're not a team of shadow warriors they could have called it shadow warrior you could have you could have left off the last s for savings but like <laughs> but like like why would you do that and in america we got it as ninja gaiden which gaiden in japanese means side story which also doesn't really make sense because it's a cool sounding word, right? Ninja Gaiden. But it's not like it's a spinoff of some no, other story. It's, it's not like it's not like there was some other ninja series that like this character was a part of. And now it's like, this is a side story. No, this is the main story. But what can you do? What can you do indeed? Well, this game, as you said, he's running around with a katana. They called it the dragon sword. That's right. As you said, it's a pretty generic, I'd say, action sword attack. He does get these items in these lantern type parts of the levels and you can get shuriken, other type of items and level ups. But this is, as you said, in its heart, a side scrolling platformer. Action yeah, game. it's a side scrolling platforming action game. Very, very indicative of the NES. I mean, games like this were everywhere <clears throat> on in the NES era. Game, this these games like reign supreme. It just felt like this is what we were going to do. We're going to make side scrolling action games and there's a ton of them whether they came from tecmo konami sunsoft with like batman but this game just felt tighter the character was more memorable the story was better and yes it was difficult but that wasn't uncommon at the time i don't think it even stood out back then as being overly difficult compared to other games i think since then we've realized that the challenging platforming and action and the difficulty of the game but i don't think it was necessarily unbeatable back then no i don't think so i don't think this game was unbeatable then and i don't think it's unbeatable now i know the last stages are really really tough and if you you die on those stages your your checkpointing is terrible but that was like how it was like the fact that there were checkpoints at all you had to be like okay well, great well these games if, if you were really good or if the game was easy you could beat this game in 20 30 minutes so they had to make it punishing so you didn't trade it in or sell it to funko lands they wanted you to continue playing this game or, or beat it on a rental so these games came home to the nes and they were made purposely more difficult to kill the rental market it wasn't like because they couldn't get your quarters uh, in the arcade, even though there is a an arcade game of Ninja Gaiden that feels nothing like this, by the way. Uh, look it up. It's not very good. And instead of being able to steal all your quarters out of your wallet or your pocket or wherever, or maybe your 100 yen piece out of your coin purse, when you would rent these games, you could beat them really quickly. So a lot of companies to kind of kill the rental market would make the game so incredibly difficult that you wouldn't have the time in a rental period, which is normal, which in that point in time was probably like three days. Like it was like three days and two nights. And you wouldn't have the ability to learn the game well enough to beat it. Unless I guess you played it nonstop the entire weekend. So these games were just super hard. They were super hard. And guys like us going back to playing them, when they're released on some other collection or some digital storefront, we're terrible at them because now we're playing these games on modern displays and they don't work as well. They don't work as well on modern displays. Like if you were to take, Matt, if you were to take a CRT and you were to hook up an original NES to a CRT directly with a wired controller, 
I'm pretty sure you'd probably be better at this game than you were when you were a kid. Oh, 100%. And that goes for most every game that you play on these digital fronts because they just were not made for this technology. And using, first off, a wireless controller like we're using these days, it's not programmed the the inputs are just not programmed to the controllers and the systems that we're using, the cords that we're using, the wires, the TVs, the tech. It's it's operating at different speeds and hertz. There's so many elements that are preventing us from having the exact one-to-one experience. And it's really hard to create that unless you have an NES that is not turned yellow and you don't have to blow in the cartridges in the console. It's very hard to replicate that original experience. Uh, I'm going to tell you this right now. Uh, I do have a CRT and I do have my original NES and those things are unbreakable as are the cartridges. I'm going to tell you this right now, unless you've melted your cartridge in a volcano, like the end of Lord of the Rings, this is what you do. You have to get a special key that they sell online. You pop it open. You take out the cartridge part where the contacts are and you get a Mr. Clean magic eraser and you just scrub down the contacts and then your NES games will work. They will work again. I promise you. NES games need to be hit with a bomb to stop working. Okay. You could build a house out of them. Yeah. So er- early of- Nintendo tech, just like the Game Boy, some of this early Nintendo tech was indestructible. They were mm-hmm. built solid, the hardware. And I think most of Nintendo's hardware is built pretty good. You can say that over time, maybe they don't put the latest or the newest tech in, but their early tech. Some of that stuff is you can throw a bomb at it. Yeah, literally. Like there's that there's that Game Boy at the Nintendo store in Manhattan that got hit with a bomb and it's still playing Tetris. Yeah. But like I mean, we won't talk about Joy-Con. But <laughs> this this yeah, this this game if you have a Ninja Gaiden and you have an NES and a tu- and a tube TV because if you want to get an NES to work on a modern TV, you have to buy like 500 bucks worth of gear. Unless you go out and buy a $500 analog NT console, which is a high def latency latency limited and in modern nes made by a company called analog they do great work their stuff is awesome but you can never get it it's so hard to get but man do i want all of their consoles so in this point in time you have these indestructible games and almost unbeatable games because of this and ninja gaiden is very very hard it's very challenging but i feel like every time you get to it it gets a little easier. You learn more about the game. You learn the platform. You learn the platforming. You learn the patterns that you're going to come across to the point where, like, you can watch people speed run this game. And, like you said, they beat it in 15 minutes. I watched a guy during game, uh, awesome games done quick. So, games done quick for those of you out there who are not acquainted, games done quick is a, an event that happens twice a year. It happens like usually right after the new year and then once in the summer. And what they do is this group of folks who are speedrunners, they, they've been streaming it for the last events because of, obviously, because of COVID. Normally, they get all these people together in like this big hotel and they have this big event where they live stream all of these speedruns. It's usually like in the DC area or Virginia or whatever. And I watch it every time because speedrunners are so incredible to watch. Like they're so unbelievable to watch. It's like so how much time and effort and how they have to spend hours in like each individual screen of a video game. Yeah. I've seen a lot of these guys, they'll leave their classes or leave their jobs, come home and then play this one game on stream for three to four hours each day, each night. And then they're doing this for six months, a year, year and a half at a time. So by the time they're running these full speed runs for people, it's impressive. Yeah. And they're almost doing it with their eyes closed. And I saw a guy 
last but the last awesome done awesome games done quick which was by the time this airs last week he ran ninja gaiden in what they call pacifist run so he did not kill a single enemy aside from the bosses and he beat the game in 14 or 15 minutes like yeah, something the, the pacifist achievement has always been something that has baffled me because i think i first saw it when i was playing either mega man 10 or 9 one of the the new like the remakes of the originals given that same original look yeah and there was an achievement in those games that if you beat levels or beat the entire run of the levels without hurting any of the enemies in the stages themselves you got this achievement and i said that sounds awful (laughs) who wants to just run through a level without shooting a single thing I will say this. I, I couldn't do it. I, I've tried to do pacifist runs on like stuff like Metal Gear Solid, where it's like you only put people to sleep or like you choke them out and you don't kill anyone. But then there's like one point in every Metal Gear Solid game where it's like, all right, I'm going to be stealthy. I'm going to be stealthy. I've done this. I don't want to redo this section for the fi- fifth time. We're going to go. We're going to go. And then the alarm goes off and you're like, you know what? Everyone's dead. That's it. I'm done. It's I'm done. It's like everyone goes into the stealth game with, all right, we're going to try this stealthily. And then the second you trigger the alarm, it's just like, well, it's murder time. Here, it's time to kill everyone. I did that so many times in Ghost of Shishima, I can't even tell you. I've had but, that issue lately with Uncharted 4, where these areas, like, they'll say, let's see if we could sneak past these enemies. And I'm like, not going to happen. I just start guns nope. blazing. <laughs> Always just guns blazing, because but, that's just the way it is. But Ninja Gaiden, as a game where you're a ninja, you would think, like, I don't know. Maybe they would be stealth, stealthful about it, but no. Ninja Gaiden has no stealth whatsoever. You're just a ninja with a sword killing everything in your path to like one of the coolest and best NES soundtracks like ever. Like this game has a great NES soundtrack. I feel like we don't talk about it quite enough when talking about great 80s video game soundtracks because it's so easy to get overshadowed by the Nintendo, Konami, Capcom, like, I don't know, uh, hype train of music. And even Square, right? With like Final Fantasy. And Ninja Gaiden has such good music. Such good music. It's such memorable music. I know that like one of the most memorable ones is like, I think it's like stage four two, which is like the one like all the heavy metal guys cover. And also just lovely soundtrack. Such a great, 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 great game and great music to go along with. It really gets that your blood pumping. It gets that kind of 80s, like let's let's rock kind of feel to it. It definitely has an 80s action movie feel to it. I definitely say it's underrated, undervalued, yeah. the, the music of this game. But there are certain levels, and I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think it is during the fourth act where there's a memorable music there. And this game does not get the credit, I think, when it comes to the music. But it's, it's part of that whole experience that makes this game great. Whether you're platforming, climbing walls, climbing ladders, wall jumping, which was a big thing in this game, hopping from wall to wall. Yeah, very much. But while that music's going, it gets your blood pumping. It gets the action dialed up to 11. And back to the difficulty, as you were saying, I don't think it's ever unfair. I think this game is fair. We say games like Cuphead, when you're playing some of those run and gun levels, when you lose, you feel like you did something wrong. And I feel like it's the same thing here, where you feel like I could have dodged that guy's attack. I could have attacked that guy. Now, we can bring up a game from that time called Ghouls and Ghosts that I think is just unfair i think that game is just brutally hard just for the sake of being brutally hard yeah i don't think this game reached that high of of difficulty definitely not and i will tell you this much right now just hearing the term ghosts and goblins or ghouls and ghosts gets me agitated because it's so cheap ninja gaiden is just hard it's just difficult 
It's just difficult. In the same way that like Castlevania is difficult. Contra is difficult. Like you don't have to like, you don't have to deal with the game itself just being like, yeah, we don't want you to win. So it's got that really kind of, it's got that kind of like fairness to it. It's just really hard in the way that modern day games that you would get like this, there's probably more of your like your Souls type games where it's just like, I know everyone hates when anyone compares anything to the Souls Souls games. But at this point in time, it's like, yeah, Dark Souls, Demon Souls, whatever you want to call them. They're, it's, they're hard games, but they're never like unfair. They're never cheap. So Ninja Gaiden kind of falls into that. Yeah, into I, that. Think, I think people would say the same thing about Mega Man 1. And I don't consider that to be an overly difficult game. But I think of a modern gamer went back to play Ninja Gaiden or the original Mega Man. You'd say, wow, this game is really hard. But there's a learning curve to it. As you said, the patterns, memorization, and just getting the, the whibs and flows of these games. But I think the big influences, like you said, for Ninja Gaiden Castlevania, it's tremendous. Yeah. You can see through and through it. the attacks, the side-scrolling, the, the levels, the platforming. People don't credit as an influence, but I think Contra, because when I look at some of the enemies, that some of the enemies that just run behind you, and I always find those type of enemies in these games entertaining because they don't attack you. They don't have any guns. They're just kind of running from behind you. They're going somewhere very important, but their job is not to take you out. They just, yeah, they're, they're, you're in their way. You're trying to get there quickly. They're trying to get to wherever they need to go quickly. Maybe they're late for work or something. Maybe they need to get, or maybe they're hungry. I don't know. But you always get those enemies in these games. Like you said, it's just like, they're just walking real fast in one direction and you're walking in the opposite direction. So of course it's your job to uh, kill them. So, because you can't, you can't be slowed down. You can't be slowed down or the world will get destroyed because there's some demon emperor thing that's going to create this giant tower in the middle of 80s cyberpunk Tokyo and everyone is going to die. So regular guys going to work need to get stabbed. So that's pretty much how, how these games work. Because while this game, as we said before, we've definitely talked about how important story and the cinematics and the cutscenes were to this game. They don't break down every enemy that you fight. So it's kind of like, oh man, I was just trying to go to work and some ninja cut my face off. Oh well. I guess that's what it's like living in 80s city. It's amazing. So Mike, I want to throw something at you, get your opinion on it. Because yeah. I feel like if someone tried to make a Ninja Gaiden game in 2021 or in modern times, I would say personally, the closest thing that we've got was the game, The Messenger. Yeah. Where I feel like if you were to try and reinvent the 2D side-scrolling ninja game, I think they do it pretty well. Yeah, there's two actually that I, I want to bring up. Obviously, The Messenger, which is great. I love The Messenger. Also, The Messenger, if you're someone like me who likes to have a good laugh while they're playing a video game, the writing in The Messenger is amazing and the jokes are hilarious. It's such a well-written, funny game but it's also got great tight action it's got great great maneuverability like your verbs in this game are so good so good it's got some awesome boss fights amazing quote-unquote 8-bit style graphics because it's not really 8-bit style graphic it's it's like 8-bit inspired graphics i was talking to um, a producer at Inti Creates uh, for an, a podcast I do with Long Island Retro Gaming. And he was amazing, this guy, this guy, Matt. And he was such a lovely person to talk to. And when we talked about it, I said to him, like, you guys are making, with Blaster Mr. Zero, like, you guys are making 
eight bit games and I didn't air quotes and he was just like, yeah. And my response was like, I think what these newer retro games that take the eight bit style are is they're trying to make games that we, it's kind of like what we thought they look like when we were playing them. That's what these games look like. Yeah. It's like a dream fulfillment type thing. It's the conversation you and me had about Shovel Knight because yes. when we played Shovel Knight, that's how I remembered the NES looking, but yes. there's no way you can do what they were doing in Shovel Knight back no on way. the NES. No way. You probably couldn't do it on the SNES or the Genesis either. Like there's, there's a lot of stuff behind the works here. So yeah, the messenger is great. And what's awesome about the messenger is that like halfway through the game, it totally changes. And then there's some really fun like beach DLC, which is also just a blast. And they're actually releasing a RPG prequel to the messenger called uh, Sea of Stars, which is like Chrono Trigger meets Mario RPG in the world of the messenger. So that's really cool. Definitely check out the messenger. The other game I'm going to talk about was actually published by Yacht Club and it was came out rel relatively recently. And it's even more like Ninja Gaiden because it's just it's the messenger ends up becoming spoilers everyone for the messenger the messenger actually ends up becoming like a metroid game after a certain point in time it turns into like kind of like that, that open exploratory type thing yeah you start retreading and exploring yeah. all the areas you've been to and some people complained about that i enjoyed That's revisiting great. and searching and exploring but some people complained oh they're using the same levels to make you kind of pad out the game i didn't feel that way i don't think so i i thought that was awesome and also the ability to change the game from 8-bit to 16-bit was so cool and the music changes with it and the look and everything it's so cool i love that game but uh, more recently and i don't think it's as good of, of a game but yacht club produced a game called cyber shadow which you can get on pretty much all your streaming uh, just streaming all, all your digital storefronts it's great it's like even more ninja gaiden than the messenger because like i said it doesn't have that exploratory nature of it later on it's just st stage after stage after stage and it's real good it's real good they yeah, i've watched some video of it and people said that it got the difficulty right that it has that challenge to it, which i don't think the messenger is a highly difficult game no it's sort of a fun actiony game but i've heard it was a cyber shadow correct cyber shadow yeah i've heard it's it heard it's a difficult game but i heard it does have that ninja gaiden feel yeah no definitely and it's inspired it's got that 8-bit inspired art style to it and it's a lot of fun. It's really, really good. I would definitely check those out. If you're looking to play classic Ninja Gaiden, those are the two games that really get close. Now, Mike, anything about the two Ninja Gaiden sequels that you want to speak about or, or care to say? They're good. You know, they're really good. If you're looking to scratch that Ninja itch, I would definitely say check them out after you try to get through the first one. I know, I'm not sure if these games are super easy to get. Yeah, I think days. only the first one has been made accessible in some of the more modern, like Wii, Wii U, virtual consoles, and the Switch Online. Yeah, uh, The second and third, from what I remember, it's been a long time, that they didn't do anything truly landmark or special or memorable. It was sort of more of the same. Which is fine. Which is fine. That's kind of how the, the 3D Ninja Gaiden games are, yeah. too. The first one is like by and large, the best of the series. And they tried, they just kind of continued to do the same thing with two and three by adding some extra stuff in there. But in the end, if you're going to pick up a Ninja Gaiden game, whether it's 2D or 3D, you kind of know what you're going to get. Totally, totally, totally. Well, Mike, Ninja Gaiden's, Ninja Gaiden from 1989 by Tecmo, our huge ninja star, Ryu Hayabusa. This game was 20 levels of six acts with big boss battles and... 
kind of bring us home. Give us your overall thoughts on this, what we call now a 32-year-old game. Oh, geez. All right. Well, with Ninja, with Ninja Gaiden, it's, it's a simple, it's, but it's also like totally indicative of its time. And it's important to realize that like this is what video games were. It's a video games video game, Ninja Gaiden. And there are stages, there are boss fights, there's action, there are sub weapons. So it's got that whole NES goodness to it. It's something that if I was going to say, if someone said to me, hey, Mike, I need to play 20 games on the NES. Because I say that because the NES library is massive. If we were to cut it down to 10, I don't know if it would make the cut. But if someone was like, hey, Mike, I need to play 20 games on the NES. I want to play the 20 games that represent the NES experience as best as possible. Ninja Gaiden would be on the short list for sure. Just because it's a culmination of like everything the NES was trying to do at that time. In March of 89 in the States, is the NES is starting to get a little older. It's starting to get towards that really late era of NES games. And I feel like Ninja Gaiden was one of the first like real late era games that took a lot of ideas and not in a bad way. Like it's not a predatory way. It's not like in a, it's not a parasitic type of way. No, it felt wholly original at the time. Yeah, it absolutely. And it's taking all these ideas and using all these ideas to make a different feeling experience for the player. And it's definitely one of the quintessential NES experiences out there. I think it's very important to understand where it came from, very important to understand how it's influenced gaming moving forward. And it's just a really great action game. It's just a really great action game. It's like a masterclass on how to design a 2D action game. It's like in the Pantheon with, I don't count Mario in this because Mario is not really an action game. It's just pretty much more of a platformer, but it's in the Pantheon with Castlevania, Mega Man, Contra, if you want to throw Metroid in there, you can, as these kind of 2D action games that aren't side-scrolling beat-em-ups. So it's a really important game for that genre, and probably the most important game possibly aside from Dead or Alive for Tecmo, especially before they got bought by Koei. So it's, it's a great game. It's definitely one you should try. Don't let the difficulty turn you off from it. Just if you really want to get into this game and play it, just give it a shot. Give it a shot and play it. And I think, was this released on the Switch, Nintendo Switch Online NES collection? Does this have an SP version? That I'm not sure of. It might have been released with an SP version, but I know it's definitely on the Nintendo Switch Online service. Yeah, so it's on that service. So that's one of the best places to get it probably most successful places to get it because it seems like everyone has five switches. Well, maybe that's just me. And if it has an SP mode and you just want to experience what the game was like, that's great because it'll be easier. It'll be easier and it won't be as punishing. But if you're really good at the SP mode and you're like, oh, that was fun, but I kind of wish it had a little bit more of a challenge, try the original out. It's really worth your time. Absolutely. Well, Mike, I think you summed everything up. Excellent there. That was great. So we will put a nice bow tie on Ninja Gaiden. Now, before we go up to and get to our favorite segment. I want to get your opinion, Mike, on the announcement of the Nintendo Switch OLED, the OLED. What are your thoughts and feelings? All right. So I've got some thoughts and feelings. One, this is kind of like when I saw the the commercial for it, I'm like, yep, this is exactly what many of us definitely should have expected. For those of you out there who are expecting, and like, listen, I would have loved 
a beefed up switch. I would have loved a switch that had better processing power. I would have loved a switch that got 4K graphics. I would have loved all those things. Nintendo has literally never done that. They've never chased technology. They, they never have. I'm actually surprised the thing has an ethernet port because it, it's Nintendo acknowledging like, oh, people play games on the internet. What? There's an internet out there? What? What? It's, what? it's not 1998? Wait, there was internet then too? Oh, wait. So I, when I saw it, I was like, yeah, this, 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 this checks out. And the hardcore gaming population is very annoyed by this because they want it 4K, they want it 60 frames a second, they want it all this stuff. Guys, this is this is like as much as this is a successor to like the Wii U and the Wii and Nintendo's hand uh, home console business, it's also a Game Boy, guys. The Switch is still very much a Game Boy. So they're going to use inexpensive parts on a console that has probably a high profit margin. And they're going to release handheld experiences. So beefing up the screen on a handheld device. And I'm, I guarantee you, when you see this console in person, you're not going to care about the resolution. Because I think that the, the OLED screen on this thing is going to look great. Everything I've read about it and everything I've read about people who've, who've actually experienced the OLED a little bit said that it's awesome. Like the screen looks great. And Mike, we I think, to that. I think what people forget is this is a hand held system yeah to a degree that yeah. the ps5 and the xbox series x you cannot pick up and take with you into your bedroom into your car onto the train and play it so this was only a few years ago we were playing a ds which had an off awful awful resolution the games barely chugged along the games that they were making for it and the 3d graphics were very limited in terms of what they can do to the point where so many games just stop using them using it yeah they just make everything 2d this game runs almost everything in 720p pretty well Mm -hmm. on a handheld system and yes it can dock and play on your tv so i think what you have to remember is yes there's a hardcore community and you and me are that that wish we could have 120 frames per second i'll even take 60 i'll even take a lock 30 i'll take lock 30 i'll tell you right now switch but what we were going to get is the 90% of people out there that don't watch the news, don't watch the latest stuff that's going to go into a store and see this beautiful console come Christmas and holiday season. They're going to buy this for themselves, their kids. And this will probably eventually take over what we call the regular switch. Yeah, this is probably going to be the main skew moving forward, maybe in a year or so after they totally sell out of the original switch model, which seems to be happening constantly. Like, for those of you out there who are like, this is a bad decision. This is stupid. It's like, it's a business decision. It's, it's a, a great, very, it's a great it's business, a great decision. business decision. So I, I still think because 2017 gave us a switch. Yep. 2019 gave us a switch light 2021. Here we are getting a switch OLED. I think it may be possibly another two years till we get a true switch pro as we've been calling it yeah and i don't even know if it'll be called the switch pro it might be the switch 2 it might be the super switch it might be an even beefier more powerful console that will have specific games but also run everything that came before it now all the old switch stuff because nintendo with their handhelds have always been big on backwards compatibility like like my uncle my uncle works at nintendo he told it's gonna be called the switch 64 cube so it'll only play Nintendo 64 and GameCube games on the oh, new Switch. I'll take the GameCube. I'm glad to see that your uncle, though, was able to give you that insight uh, yep, from working yep. at Nintendo. You're welcome, guys. And if you follow the timeline since, I don't think since like 1991, but like Nintendo has always released 
a new handheld iteration every two years. So if you follow the handheld timeline, I think it goes back like since like the Game Boy Pocket. Game, or the Boy, Game Boy Color, the yeah. there's DS, DS Lite, DSi, there's DS, and there's the, the DS, there Lite, and the 2DS, the 3DS, the 3DS XL. There's just every one of their portable handheld systems had two, three, or even four iterations. When you put the SP in of the Game Boy Advance, there's just exactly. so many different iterations. And this is yeah. just that happening again. Yeah, it's of course, it's the handheld mentality. And you know what? A lot of people like myself who have uh, version one switches, you saw people get the version two switch in the red box and it was like, oh, wow, the battery lasts longer. It's a better chipset. It doesn't run as hot. And it's like, cool. I kind of wish I would have waited and got that. And now it's just like my switch is four years old. I'm worried that it's going to start dying soon because unfortunately these things are kind of you're playing them in handheld mode at all. They, they, they do start to die after a while. So I have a V1 switch. I'm going to get the OLED model just because I play about in handheld mode about 50% of the time. And I don't know, I could use an upgrade to my regular switch. So why not? Why not get that? And I will buy whatever the next switch is, whatever the pro is, whatever they're going to call it when that comes out. But yeah, though, there are a lot of hardcore people online who, who said this is stupid, but there's a giant market of people who have bought the switch who are kids for they bought it for kids they bought it for their more of a casual experience the switch is like the modern everyone gets it console or whatever you want to call it handheld whatever video game device so it just makes sense from a business point of view it's definitely going to do well in the japanese market because handheld always does better over there especially with mobile being so popular and the switch kind of carrying the torch for handheld gaming i know a lot of people are like oh well it's just the vita now it's like well no just because the vita had an oled screen doesn't mean the switch is the vita the Vita's okay it's great but when you have to spend your left arm for a a memory card for the thing and it has no games on it except for a port of persona 4 which is like i'm not going to spend money on something i can play on my pc or my ps2 yeah great the 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 Switch kind of does carry the Vita legacy because it carries the legacy of like all handheld gaming. And as we said during our E3 console, uh, E3 podcast, the Switch is carrying the handheld legacy of Nintendo. And this is it. Yeah. Besides mobile gaming, there's really no one else out there they have to compete no. with. They have the monopoly on the on the industry. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see the reaction to OL, the OLED model, but I'm sure it'll be a big success. So, oh, yeah. Mike, please let us know how and what have you been gaming? Well, I've been playing. I, I've actually had a very successful week in terms of gaming. I finished Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart, which I loved. I thought it was very, very good. It was a very great PS5 experience. So I finished that yesterday. So that's on the list of games finished in 2021 so far. I also finished Metroid Zero Mission this week because... I want to play through the 2D Metroids before Dread comes out in October and I get that nice new OLED switch to play Dread on. That's right. That's right, hardcore gamers. I'm buying one and there's nothing you can do to stop me. And so I finished that this week. So I'll eventually I'll move on to the Metroid 2 remake on the 3DS. And yesterday after finishing Ratchet and Clank, I started the Final Fantasy VII remake intermission, the Yuffie side story. And so far, it's, wow, this game running on PS5 is like, thank goodness. It looks so good in performance mode. 
Yuffie's excellent. She plays incredibly differently than any of the other characters from the original game, the original like base model of the remake. And it's just a fun time to get back into this game. We complain about games getting released and sent out unfinished. And I know Square has some issues, but there's nothing better for me as someone like you, Matt. I mean, you're even more busy than I am probably because you, you got kids and you got family and a house and all this stuff. It's like guys like us who are super, super busy a lot of the time, a great 30 to 40 hour experience that we could really max out on. And then like a year later, play a little bit more of it. I don't know. It's a home run to me. Yeah, so Mike, I don't usually replay games, especially newer ones. You know, I'll go back to older NES, SNES games and play them a couple times a year, my favorites. But I don't usually yeah. play the modern games that have just came out last year and replay it a second time. But the Final Fantasy VII Remake is the one game that's really tempting me because it was so good and I want to experience on the PS5 all the new Glitz and glamour and sparkles of that and also the new content. Yeah, the new content so far is great. I did go back and play a little bit of the the main game to see how much better it felt on the PS5 and it really makes a huge difference. And it's funny to be nostalgic for something that came out a year ago, but Final Fantasy VII Remake came out and released in, in the States. It might have been worldwide too at the same time. It released like as the pandemic was really, really, really taking hold in the United States, at least in like early April, like we were closed for like two or three weeks when this game came out. So it was like a, a, a place of like solace, right? It was like a vacation within your own home, being able to sit down and play the Final Fantasy VII remake, especially for someone who grew up playing Final Fantasy VII. It was just like, within oh, thank a goodness. Within a few weeks, the world gave us a pandemic, then Animal Crossing, Doom Eternal, and Final Fantasy VII Remake. So it's like, yeah. if you're an RPG guy, if you're a shooter guy, or if you just want your casual experience, gamers, we got you covered. Yeah, and you know what? Like, the pandemic was has been had had been awful. It's really just an awful time for for everyone. But having the ability to like sink yourself in and get lost in these game worlds definitely helped a lot of people out. And Final Fantasy VII for someone like me was like wow, this is just, you know what? I'm so happy that I have this place to escape to. And while, even though I'm stuck in my house and, you know, obviously everyone who lives in my home is, is wonderful. It was really nice to kind of have that little vacation in Midgar every so often, just to like, as the world around us was like, was so just, we had no idea what was going on. It was just such a comfort to have something from our childhood come back and to experience it again. And being able to now go back and experience it yet again with a new character or a different another character because Yuffie's not a new character by any standards, but a new character this game, a new gameplay style, uh, a new combat style, just going back and to ex re-experience like the beauty of this remake that Square Enix has made is just really nice, and it's such a it's so it's such a nice uh, thing to just kind of experience again and, and just reacquaint yourself to it. Yeah, really love it. That's awesome stuff, Mike. Well, let us know if you continue playing through it, how the extra content it is, and maybe tell our listeners if they feel it's worth a repurchase or if the content is worth a purchase. So you have to yeah, let sure. us fill us in. I'll let you know for cool. sure. I've been trugging along through Uncharted 4. Oh, nice. Also simultaneously playing through Paper Mario. They're both longer games, so I am still making my way through it. And then I'm holding up here, which 
your listeners can't see. Oh, baby. I also just got Ghost of Toshima. So I am very excited. I heard this was one of the wonderful standout games for the PS4. Yeah, I got that game when it came out. It's about a, about a year ago. Came out, it came out, yeah, yeah, it came out in, I think, late July. Uh, yeah. No, just about a year. Mid-July during during so COVID. About, about a year ago, yeah. Yeah, I'm not, I don't play a lot of the Assassin's Creed games and I've heard it compared to that a lot, like the newer ones. But yeah, Ghost of Tsushima was such a, such a, just a welcomed experience for me. I play, I play open world games like every so often. And this game, it was just, oh, man, was it good. It was my... I think I had it as my game of the year last year. If not, it was very, very close. And this is also getting a director's cut PS5 type upgrade. So I almost like, should I not open this one? But I'm sure it'll be good enough. Well, you'll be able to get the upgrade, I think, too. It'll it'll cost you because it's Sony. Yeah, no, that comes out like late August. I think like August 20th or something like that, which is the day before my birthday, a day after my birthday. So I'll probably buy that for myself as a nice little birthday gift. <laughs> and yeah, I love that game. I hope you enjoy it. I hope you, you, if you play it, I hope you enjoy it. And just take a second to just, to breathe it in. Um, play it in performance mode and just breathe. Oh yeah, I'm all for the performance mode. I don't need to see the extra ray tracing. Just make sure it runs smooth. That's right. I hitches. I want it to run nice. And just make sure you find all the foxes and pet them. I will be sure to, Mike. Well, thank you so much once again uh, for joining us talking about another classic today. Mike, thank where you, can Matt. people out there find you? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at the underscore Mike underscore Staub. You can also find me on another podcast I do called the How About This Podcast, where we take franchises like, say, Ninja Gaiden and come up with something new for it, whether it be a movie based on it or a cartoon based on it or another game or something else. You can find them. You can find me and that podcast on Instagram at HowAboutThisPod or Facebook.com slash HowAboutThisPod. You can also find me with Long Island Retro Gaming. If you just search out Long Island Retro Gaming or at mention LI Retro, you could find me. I do a podcast with them as well. It's the Long Island Retro Gaming podcast. We do about one per month. It's mostly interviews and things like that. And it's, it's a lot of fun to do. And then lastly, you can find me with my band, Bad Mary. So you can find Bad Mary Band all over the internet. So just go out of your way to look them up if you'd like to find us. It's just search for Bad Mary on Google or you can do Bad Mary Band on pretty much any social media platform. And uh, we've been playing a lot of music for a long time. So it's a lot of fun. And uh, as always, you can find me here every single week with Matt. Thank you, Matt. Talking about video games on the Hall of Fame podcast. Yes, guys, it's just as it sounds. Mike is one of the busiest guys in the world. So it is nice to have him joining us here each week for about an hour or so. So thank you guys for joining us. This is a pleasure. We are growing and growing. Our Instagram page is close, inching its way to a thousand followers. So thank you guys so much. Thanks for the love and the support. And go through our back catalog. We got some awesome Hall of Fame game episodes we've talked about and so many awesome games lined up coming up soon. Yeah, absolutely. Every time you send me like the list of stuff you want to talk about, it's like, ooh, yeah, let's like you sent me a list like last week. I'm like, I, I could talk about all of these. Let's do this now. And listen to those old episodes there. It's evergreen content, folks. So these games aren't going anywhere, really. So we could talk about this stuff forever. It's not like super current. So give that, give him a listen, give us a like, subscribe, share it with your friends, anything to do to make it more visible. And Matt's been doing an excellent series. If you don't follow us yet on Instagram, Matt has been going through, uh, I think he bought every single game on Switch. 
I'm pretty sure he's bought every single game on Switch. So he's been going through his Switch library one by one. And as someone who just loves the vastness and variety of video games in general, like myself, it's so cool to sit there and just see every single game you go through. And it's just like, oh, yeah. And then there's sometimes there's like, I don't know why you bought that, Matt, but I respect it. You know what, Mike? My bank account and my wallet can confirm that I have bought way too many eShop games. And there's a few that I wish they had that refund feature that Steam has because I'll play 5, 10, 15 minutes and I go, oh boy. It's kind of, you know what though? Let's let's be fair here. That's We, we talk about a lot of older stuff. We were talking about NES game today. That is how it was in the NES and SNES era. You spent 50, 60, 70 bucks on a cartridge. Sometimes it was bad. Yeah, Sometimes there were some games that sat, collected dust. I can, I'm looking at you, Silver Surfer. I'm looking at you, X-Men on the NES. These early games, you, you were rolling the dice. You are going up to Toys R Us. You saw the cover of a character you knew from a TV show or a comic book, and you got burned, baby. You got burned. No, definitely no good. No good. That Silver Surfer game is horrific. Music's awesome, though. Tim Fallon does some good stuff. It does uh, not save the game, though. It does no, not no. save the game. Actually, uh, this is this is this is an aside because I need more projects to work on. For Long Island Retro Game, I'm actually doing a once a month thing with my friend Brendan, where we're we're doing a series called uh, Bad Games, Good Music, and Silver Surfer is obviously going to be the first game we talk about. And uh, yeah, no, sometimes you just got you got suckered. So, Matt, I respect your purchases like to no to no end. If it makes everyone feel better out there, I usually wait for an eShop sale before I do these awful roll the dice purchases. But nonetheless, it's still money, buds. Yeah, it's still money. It still <laughs> takes your money. But man, it's like, wow, what a varied library. I love it so much. So if, you, if, you're, if you're not following us on Instagram yet, do so. And if you are following us on Instagram and you like the content, just like comment. We're, we're, we're not scary people. We will comment. I will mostly comment in all caps, but we will comment. We'll have conversations with you. We love that stuff. So be sure to talk to us. We have a lot of fun with that. Well, thank you guys so much. We appreciate your time and we plan on seeing you guys again next week. See you next week. From Mike and Matt, thank you for listening to the Hall of Fame Game Podcast. Check us out on Instagram at Hall of Fame Pod or email us at thehalloffamepod at gmail.com. Please leave us a review and be sure to tune in next time. So I got a text message from Mike on Tuesday morning. He said, check your email. So I don't know where this is going first. So I opened my email up and the link says switch OLED. So here I'm going nuts already. I'm thinking it's either fake. I'm thinking this has got to be some fan made thing. I open it up and it says the, the video on YouTube is actually Nintendo. So I'm like, all right, it's going to have 4K. This thing's going to have every feature under the sun, everything that people have been talking about. My expectations were probably a little too high, but it's just fun getting that. I think the text message and the excitement that it's, it's here when you get that first, that first message in, it's always cool. I didn't watch the video yet. I, I saw the video pop up on, on my, my social feed. And I think it was like a Twitter thing and then a YouTube video or whatever. And I saw it pop up on my social feed. I'm like, oh boy, I'm not going to watch this yet. I got to send it to like the right people. I got like so, six messages after you. People were like, did you see this? You get a, basically it's one of those generic Nintendo videos of Karen, yeah. Karen and her friends playing in a Starbucks. But it's just so funny. You remember certain things in your life when certain things are announced. This is one of those moments. That's yeah. No, I said it. I'm like, I immediately had to get to you. And I'm just like, I don't know if I can 
copy the link and just put the link in the chat in the text message. So I'm going to email it to him and give him the wonderful. That's like a parent text, like call me or check your email. It's like a parent text, like what a parent would send a kid. And it's always like, um, hopefully this is okay. And I was on the clock at work. So I was using company time there watching this trailer. Oh, no, don't tell, <laughs> don't tell anyone. 